Hello everyone, I'm Jane Rumble. I'm Head of the Polar Regions Department at the UK Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office. I'm delighted to be joined today for this conversation about the changing Arctic by David and Crystal and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So David, over to you first. I'm a marine biologist who's studied the biology and chemistry of sea ice and the associated waters um, for several decades now in in both the Antarctic and, and the Arctic. I'm currently the Professor of Arctic Ecosystems Research at the University of Helsinki in in Finland. Hello, I'm Crystal Burt Lipinski. I am an Inuka, which is singular for Inuit. Um, And I'm originally from uh, Nunavut, Canada. Um, And I've had the absolute privilege of also working with the Inuit Circumpolar Council um, as their consultant uh, when it comes to climate change. Um, but also the planning and coordination of COP26. Fantastic. So I'm delighted to be convening this climate conversation, which brings together people with different perspectives on climate. Today, uh, as you've heard, we have David, who's a scientist, and Crystal, who is a representative of one of the Indigenous peoples of the Arctic, to give their perspectives on how the Arctic is changing. We're often told that the Arctic is warming three times faster than anywhere else uh, on the planet. Uh, And I think the evidence that we see uh, in the media of the sea ice retreating, uh, of increasing Arctic wildfires. I think in July, we had the lowest sea ice extent that we'd seen at that time uh, ever previously. It was 48 degrees uh, above the Arctic Circle in Siberia uh, back in June. So these changes are kind of, you know, the evidence of, of, uh, of how much everything is changing. And of course, this brings greater interest in the region. There's more uh, pressure for people to go and use the Arctic through shipping routes, more interest in hydrocarbon extraction, more mineral extraction, more kind of uh, interest to go and visit the region and look at the, at the climate change, but also a lot of concern about what's going to happen to uh, iconic species like the polar bear and, and the whales and the seals and so on and so forth. And that's just a kind of snapshot of what you're, of what people will see in the in the media. But David, uh, if we start with you, do you want to set out what are the key sort of science changes and challenges that you're seeing over the last kind of few years? I, I guess I've really caught on with this this quote from Mark Ceres, who's the director of the National Snow and Ice Data Center in Boulder, Colorado, and he comes out with this phrase that the Arctic is losing its soul. And I think that's actually saying a lot because we define the Arctic by the snow and the ice, the glaciers and the sea ice that you described. And they're now melting at a rate that's never been seen before. I've worked on sea ice since the early 1990s. And the textbooks that we were working from then and, and, the, and what we understood about sea ice then, you know, they've been ripped up not just once, but they've been ripped up two or three times since. Um, because, you know, there we had lots of ice that lasted for many years was very thick and that defined a lot of what the arctic ocean was um it defined the oceanography and and that's now completely different we're getting you know you know we we think that in by 2050 there there will be very little summer sea ice left in 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 the arctic ocean um and then you put into the whole permafrost thaw the changing ecosystems so species that were never seen in the arctic before and how being recorded there and and species that were endemic in the arctic before are, are, are struggling to survive so we're getting at you know biodiversity changes as well rivers are changing and the 
what the rivers are putting into the Arctic Ocean is are changing as well. So the constituents as the as the permafrost and, and material changes. So it is completely different than when I started going in the 1990s. And it is changing so very rapidly. So what we knew from 2021 we're going to have a very different scenario in 2022. And, you know, year by year, it's quite shocking, um, the changes that we're recording. It's, it's kind of interesting, you know, we, we, we're able to look at the Arctic and read about it and, and you know, study it. But Crystal, I mean, you, this is your lived experience. So can you tell us, like, what is it like living in such a rapidly changing environment? And what, what do you see as, as the future for the region? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I, I do have to echo what uh, David had mentioned uh, regarding uh, the um, changes in wildlife. Um, that's part of what Inuit are seeing in Arctic communities within the circumpolar region. You know, specifically looking at permafrost and the impacts of permafrost, um, the melting and the refreezing of permafrost really affects the infrastructure of our communities. We have no basements. You can't, you can't dig into permafrost. And so all of the houses are actually built above ground, poles that are holding them up or wooden frames that are holding the houses up. But each time permafrost melts and refreezes, it shifts the house, which is causing uh, a lot of health issues as well uh, because of uh, mild uh, that's building up in, uh, in homes. Um, and uh, it has huge implications, not just within our food systems, not just within infrastructure, but also our health and our well-being. We know that mold is extremely dangerous uh, to be breathing in, um, but many, many homes are filled with them. In Nunavut, where I'm from, there's a lot of homes that I've seen and families and friends that are sharing on social media pictures of what their house looks like. And you can see, um, you know, cracked uh, walls that are right against the windows. And it's just filled with condensation and wetness that is right by, for example, uh, electrical outlets, which is extremely dangerous as it is. But I guess, Crystal, one of the other things that, I mean, do, do, do you see is the changing seasons as well when, and this must be true for, for the food gathering. Um, so we, we know that the changing ice conditions in the oceans and the, and the seas are changing the whole seasonality of, of how the plankton are working and how they're and growing. And, and, a, and that has the knock-on effects for the rest of the food web. And I guess you're seeing that as well. Yes, Absolutely. There's a lot of, uh, of changes that are happening in Arctic communities. And part of the, the challenge that we've been really pushing for as well is that Inuit see this um, within the circumpolar region. Um, so you know, Indigenous and local communities in the Arctic have real lived experience of these changes. They're seeing it every single day. Um, indigenous knowledge, for example, um, you know, oral uh, storytelling is part of our culture. It's part of who we are. And, and that's how we've been able to share uh, experience, um, been able to survive. And our elders have been saying for decades now how the sky has changed. And now it's unpredictable. And also with a lot of uh, the wildlife that's uh, coming into Arctic communities, you know, different species that are going into the Arctic Ocean, like, um, for example, salmon. Salmon is now starting to make their way into Inuit communities, which have never traditionally been there. They're also seeing a lot of orcas in our communities. It has happened. Inuit have said, yes, we've seen orcas many, many moons ago, but now they're, they're around our communities consistently, which is affecting our 
food chain as well, because Inuit still rely on seals. Inuit still rely on Arctic char, on whales, on walruses, but are now being impacted because of the orcas that are making their way into our traditional areas. It's really interesting. I was reading a, I was reading a, a study today about bearded seals. And this study was really, really good because it, it flipped the traditional way of scientists going into a community with predetermined questions. The members of the community, actually, they were the ones that selected the questions that needed to be answered, not the scientists that were going in. And um, they used their um, indigenous knowledge to come up with the ways of studying these questions that led with the help of the scientists and the satellite technology to coming up with the answers. And I, I guess that's one of the things that we really need to see is that the um, the ownership of this indigenous knowledge for of, of, of knowing about this change that you've just described is actually uh, recognized and is um, is actually utilized for, for the better science as well. Absolutely. One of the things that Inuit have uh, really been pushing for, again, for decades, um, whether this is uh, the Inuit Circumpolar Council um, or by ITK, uh, which uh, works closely with the Canadian government, the, the need to ensure that the work that's being conducted in our communities is being done in a way that acknowledges Indigenous knowledge. Uh, because Inuit have this strong relationship with our environment, we have a strong relationship with our wildlife, we understand uh, migration patterns, we understand uh, weather patterns, or have for the, all of these years that Inuit have been occupying the Arctic. And, you know, within the, the last 30 or so years, if not a little bit longer, Inuit have been indicating that the weather has been so unpredictable that we don't even know what's happening anymore. Where there's uh, traditionally um, sea ice no longer exists or where there used to be um, water ponds or lakes that are now dried up. These are things that Inuit know because they're Inuit are hunters and that's how we have survived as people. And we still need wildlife to survive in our communities today. I guess there's really got to be a, a, a co-production of knowledge, isn't there? You know, we've got to be uniting the scientific knowledge um, and the indigenous knowledge and somehow they've got to be coming back together because otherwise you know, policymakers don't stand a chance. So, I mean, I think there's a real, um, the only term I can come up with at the moment is co-production, but I think it's really important that there is this working together and that it is often led by the indigenous knowledge. And that should be the starting point rather than just the, the helping point. I think, you know, starting from that, we would, we would move a lot faster in answering some of the questions. Absolutely. We're seeing all of these super dramatic changes in the Arctic that you've spoken about. And Crystal, you've, you've set out so clearly kind of the consequences this has for, for people that, that live in the Arctic. How do you want the future to be knowing that, that some of these changes are, are going to continue? Inuit are such adaptable people. We are so resilient, you know, and, and I say that uh, with so much pride because our people has survived literally one of the harshest climates in the world. We have adapted to the environment in which we live in. Um, you know, when, when I think of Inuit, I, I see Inuit as caretakers of the environment who have always taken care of the environment, um, have always respected 
the land, the water, and the people. And we needed that to survive, literally needed that to survive. We, we've been trying to combat this. We've been trying to voice our issues for so many years, but we've also are trustworthy people. And we had trusted many people coming into our communities to uh, that have said they wanted to make change and real change, but never followed through. And now we want to see that follow through. But when we see that follow through, we want to be part of those decisions. We want to be part of those tables because it's impacting our people. You know, I, I just, I hope to see Indigenous knowledge at the forefront and um, the idea of also being inclusive of Indigenous peoples in decision-making. I, I think, Crystal, what you said there was really interesting about you used two words, adaptability and, and resilience. You know, even if we were able to stop temperature rise now, even if we were able to just say, that's it, we've, we've put everything in place so temperatures won't increase, there's an inertia in the changes that are taking place in the Arctic that will, that will mean that the physical changes and the biodiversity changes are going to continue for, for many decades or, uh, or, or hundreds of years. And I think what's important is, even if we bring about the changes that we hope that society is able to bring, the adaptability and the resilience of, of people living in the Arctic, but also the rest of the world, is, is actually going to be huge. You know, we're going to be required um, to adapt for, for many, many um, decades, hundreds of years to come. This may, for some people listening to this uh, in the lower latitudes, uh, seem a little bit remote. So why why do they need to worry about what's happening uh, in the Arctic more generally? So there's a rather quaint phase. What happens in the Arctic uh, doesn't stay in the Arctic and that has impacts on the, on, on, on the rest of the globe. And that's absolutely true because ocean circulation, weather patterns, I mean, we're seeing this now, strongly dominated by, by what's going on in the Arctic. There is no getting away from it. The whole of the globe is impacted by the Arctic changes. And the, the more rapid these changes are taking place compared to the rest of the globe, going back to the beginning of our conversation, the, the, the greater will there be the amplification um, of the effects of that on, on, on things like ocean circulation impacts and, and, and weather patterns as well. And also the, the biodiversity changes, the migration of animals in and out of the Arctic. I mean, there's a whole host of different species migrate into the Arctic and out of the Arctic, and, and that will be changing. And, and, and we don't have no clue about um, um, on what those changes will really mean. And Crystal, I'm sure you've got perspectives on that, uh, not least what the rest of the world maybe should learn a bit more from, from the way the Inuit uh, have coped with the changes in the Arctic. Absolutely. Um, just to David's point about, you know, what happens in the Arctic doesn't stay in the Arctic. It's absolutely true. The Arctic is the, the natural refrigerator for the world. Um, so any impacts that are happening in the Arctic is going to have detrimental impacts to the rest of the world. You know, you're looking at more heat, uh, but you're also looking at tornado warnings. Tornadoes never existed in, in this area before, and now we're seeing it. We're seeing the impacts uh, like around the rest of the world. Um, many people don't understand um, how their lives are going to change completely um, if we don't um, try and, and uh, identify ways of, of bringing a stop to climate or at least slowing it down uh, very progressively. 
one of the, the most primary examples of how the rest of the world is impacted is, of course, by sea level rise and all this um, glacial melt. You know, we're getting an increase in sea level of about three and a half millimeters per year. Now, this doesn't sound very much. It sounds tiny, but, you know, escalate that to the next 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years. This is, this is enormous volumes of water. And, of course, whole communities are going to be hugely impacted by these sea level rises we're seeing that are, you know, coming out of, of, of glacial melt as well as other things as well. Look at Greenland. Um, Greenland um, have been experiencing uh, tsunamis um, even a community where they cannot return to their community because it is just not possible anymore. These are, are huge um, issues. And looking at Inuit communities, Inuit are, are um, all coastal communities. We all live on the coastline in the Arctic waters. So the more glaciers uh, melt, the more impact our communities will also have. I think of my hometown of Sanariak Nunavut, which is um, formerly known as Hull Beach. And when I think of my community, I, I get worried. I get worried because there's no mountains nearby. Um, they're completely flat. What happens when sea level rises? My entire community could wash away from a tsunami. And these are, are real life um, issues. And it's scary. It is so scary to think about. So uh, imagine in uh, a couple of weeks' time, you're zoomed unexpectedly into the negotiating room. Uh, what would you want to say to the assembled masses there, Crystal? Take action. Our lives depend on it. Literally, everyone depends on it. Um, and policy decision makers, um, state heads, um, everybody needs to really take a, a good look at what's happening in the Arctic um, and start uh, working closely with Indigenous populations in the Arctic. Um, they know their communities, they know their environment, um, and if they want to make meaningful changes, they need to start working closely with Indigenous um, populations. Thank you, Crystal. And I, and I see your daughter's just uh, wandered into shot. And of course, this is really all about uh, the, her future and, and the future of the next uh, coming generations. We've got to act so fast and we've got to act so fast in the way that we we fund our science and we, we, we do us and even report our science. Um, you know, the traditional way of doing science of it's, it's too slow for the changes that are taking place. We, well, we've seen that from the pandemic, haven't we? We really needed governments to work in a different way with the scientists that get the vaccinations produced. Um, this is a very, very much bigger thing than, than the recent pandemic. And, and we, need, we need governments and funders and policymakers to really be investing in, in, in fast science that gets the answers quickly so that we can actually make the decisions that are so pertinent for the future generations. So my, my advice would be bold and revolutionary in the way that we do the science, in the way that we're going to get the answers that we need uh, um, to do that, the work that needs to happen. Fantastic. I mean, the Arctic is clearly at the cutting edge of, of the climate change that we're seeing across the globe. I hope through this conversation, we've inspired uh, the next generation of scientists to think about what's happening in the Arctic uh, and many people to understand what it's like to live in the Arctic and the dramatic consequences that climate change is having on those who uh, have lived in those regions for such a long time. David, Crystal, thank you so very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
This has been uh, one of the episodes of the Climate Conversations supported by the Natural Environment Research Council and Glasgow Science Centre. It's produced by Bespoken Media. Thank you so much for listening.